0: Hello, welcome to today's program. We are live here from beautiful Kingsport, Tennessee, where the weather is glorious and lovely today. And I have a few emails. Um, I was going to try to answer. I actually have a folder in my uh, Gmail account where I put emails when people ask uh, questions and things like that. And I got a good question. In fact, yeah, about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and I think this is a, a good question. Um, they said. Asked, wondering when the sacrificial system with Israel ended and how modern day Jews look forward to their Messiah. Uh, That's a a really good question. And uh, the best I can do as far as answering it, I would say, um, biblically speaking, it was when uh, Jesus died. When Jesus died, that's when the new covenant goes into effect. And I would uh, base that upon uh, Hebrews chapter 9 uh, verses 16 through, through uh, Hebrews nine fifteen, I think. fifteen. Yeah, here it is. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, and that, that term that's used there is the term diatheke, the term covenant, where there is a covenant, there also must be of necessity the death of the testator. Um, For a testament is in force, babias is the term there, after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So this is one of the reasons that we really, we have to believe, we have to believe that uh, there are multiple administrations of the one covenant of grace. You cannot identify uh, the new covenant alone as the covenant of grace. It's not. um, The new covenant is not in force, uh, the term babias, until Jesus dies. Now, once he dies... Uh, this is one thing that came out uh, when I was uh, preaching through Luke's Gospel. Uh, just finished that. It only took uh, 163 sermons. It <laughs> um, took three and a, half, three, a little over three years to get through that. Um, but uh, when Jesus dies on the cross, the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And really, once Jesus dies, the antitype is there. Now, the the fulfillment of everything in the Old te- in the old Covenant, um, in terms of the sacrificial system and what it all pointed forward to, uh, is now fulfilled. So now the sacrificial system is officially over. And you think about uh, the book of Hebrews really is a, an impassioned plea to Jewish believers, to Hebrew Christians, uh, to hold fast to the gospel and do not, do not turn back to the old ways. Don't go back to priesthood and temple and, and things like that. So the death of Christ, according to Hebrews 9, uh, right there, verses 15, 16, 17, is particularly uh, verse 17, a testament, the covenant, is enforced after men are dead. So the, the death of the testator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, once he dies, the covenant is in effect. So you, really, the, the thief on the cross, the, the man that died next to Jesus who repented and went to heaven, he went to heaven on the basis of the new covenant because he died after Jesus. Now, his faith would have been the same regardless if he had uh, died before Jesus had died. He still would have gone to heaven on the basis of the work of Christ anticipated and foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but there in those those moments, it's, you know, it's uh, happening right there and then. Uh, but the sacrificial system is no longer valid as soon as Jesus dies on the cross and that's why uh, the whole book of Hebrews is a, a passion uh, plea to not turn back to it. Don't go back to um, the types and shadows when the reality is here. There's no reason to go back to types and shadows once Jesus has come. And um, it says here, she also asked, and how how modern day Jews look forward to their Messiah. Now, I'm not an expert on uh, Judaism, but I would say, uh, having studied it a little bit, and I've listened to lectures by uh, rabbis and things like that, there really isn't a Judaism. Uh, there are Judaisms, there's there's lots of different perspectives on stuff there's as I understand it there's orthodox judaism there's reformed judaism and and there's a, a zillion other uh versions of this but one individual that uh is a, a I believe is a rabbi his name is his name is Shmuley Boteak, and I've heard him talk about this um, he was on a program with Al Mohler once, and they were talking about this. And he he says that when the Messiah comes, then it'll be world peace. We'll have there'll be peace in the world, and there won't be any any war or fighting or anything like that. As I understand it, that's kind of how they they look at it. And the one thing to bear in mind, though, about this question of Jewish people today and how they uh, read the scriptures if they if they do open the Bible and do read it, always remember this, please. Jesus taught people and taught his disciples specifically and taught his opponents specifically that the reason they did not believe in him was because they did not believe the Old Testament. Why did they reject Christ? Why did they reject uh, the Messiah when he came? They rejected him for one simple reason, one very simple reason. They do not believe the Bible. They don't believe the Old Testament. And in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, it says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in the scriptures concerning himself. And then later, um, you have uh, Jesus in Luke 24, 44, uh, with his disciples when he appears to them. It says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, so that's the the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so the issue with the Pharisees, the issue with the Sadducees, the issue with all of the religious Jewish people that rejected Christ and argued with him, the issue was not that they, they didn't know the scriptures. The issue was they didn't believe them. As Jesus said, if you believed Moses... You believe me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote about me, and that's John five forty six. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now that would have definitely offended them, because these were people that not only would have told you they believed the writings of Moses were the very words of God. Um, they. Had large portions of it, if not all of it, memorized, committed to memory, and Jesus is very forthright with them, telling them, "You guys don't believe the Bible, you don't believe the scriptures. If you did, you would recognize me, you would know me." Uh, I met with some dear brothers today uh, for lunch. Well, we haven't been doing it as often. We need to do it. Try to do it at least every every two weeks. But we meet down at this uh, pizza shop down in Gray, and we come from our different places, uh, and go down there, and. Get a couple of pizzas and get our Westminster Confessions, and there were five of us today, and read through the confession and discuss it and read scripture together and and talk. It's just so encouraging. It's such an edifying uh, way to spend lunch. Um, We were talking about um, the uh, people of Israel and the the fact that they, they just did not believe what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. Think about the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel uses the, the phrase, Messiah the Prince shall be cut off in Daniel chapter 9, I believe it's verses 24, 25, and 26. That Messiah is going to be cut off. He's going to be executed. And they didn't like that idea. They didn't want the, their Messiah to die. Uh, Isaiah 53 is clearly a messianic uh, prophecy, and it's about the the chastisement and the crushing of the servant of Yahweh, the suffering servant of Yahweh, who's going to, to die for his people's sins, and so the problem with uh, the Jewish people today, it's not that they—it's not that they don't know the Scriptures; they just don't believe them. And it takes an act of God. And another thing we talked about—we were talking about the doctrine of regeneration. We read the uh, some of the chapter of effectual calling, which really is the Westminster Confession's uh, chapter on regeneration, and. We, we looked at some of the passages, especially the ones in uh, Ezekiel, about the new birth. How I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in my statutes. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> anyway, Ezekiel uh, um, 36, 27, I believe it is. I will uh, take out their heart of stone and give them a, a heart of flesh. Let me see if I can find out. Ezekiel 36, 27. Is that it? Um, that we were reading there. Yeah, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remember, this is Ezekiel. And there are similar statements uh, in other prophets. In Jeremiah, you have the same kinds of things. Jeremiah or, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, and then later Ezekiel 37 with the Valley of Dry Bones. You remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus about that? He said to Nicodemus, are you the... Teacher of Israel, and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that man must be born again. And with my my brothers over over pizza uh, this afternoon, this uh, uh, lunch lunch just a little bit ago, uh, we were talking about that. You know what an amazing thing, uh, Nicodemus, who knew the Old Testament so well, he should have seen that the Old Testament teaches very clearly that God has to do something to us. That there is a supernatural, sovereign, divine act that's got to take place, or else we're not going to see. And we're not going to believe, and we're not going to come to Christ. We're not going to know God. And So it's vital that we, that we get that. So that's the problem. That was the problem with Nicodemus. It was the problem with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, the, re- the religious Jewish people that rejected Christ, and with Jewish people to this very day. Uh, They do not believe the Bible. They don't believe what it says about Messiah dying. They don't believe what it says about him rising again. Psalm 16 says you will not allow your Holy One uh, to see corruption. And um, Daniel chapter 12 speaks of the resurrection. They just don't believe those things. And that's why uh, their expectation of the Messiah is uh, completely wrong. It's very sinful and evil. Uh, to think that he hasn't come because he clearly has jesus fulfilled more than 300 specific prophecies when he came into the world so um those are good questions and uh, thank you for those i've got some other uh, stuff here um i was thinking about doing some of the yeah the <laughs> apostate uh, apostodoxy someone's someone i that um let's see uh yeah um Okay, not not that one. I'll do that one some other time. That, that's a good one. But okay, I already did the one on Stephen Furtick. Uh, here we go. All right, here's here's a quotation. Let me uh, put, use the timer here. I'll give myself sixty seconds to make this orthodox, and then I'll try to and then I'll tell you what what I think is wrong with it. Okay, this is a quotation from Rob Bell. Rob Bell is one of the emergent um, weirdos. I think. Um, Oprah, uh, likes Rob Bell. So that, that, should tell you something right there. If, if, if you uh, Oprah is a fan of yours, it's probably because, um, you have very serious problems in your theology. Okay. Here's the quotation and I'll, I'll read the quotation and then I'll take 60 seconds and show you using smooth words and flattery, how to make it, um, how to make it orthodox. How do I do this? Okay. Here's the quote from Rob Bell quote, the Bible has to be interpreted. And if it isn't interpreted, then it can't be put into action. So if we are serious about following God, then we have to interpret the Bible. It is not possible to simply do what the Bible says. We must first make decisions about what it means at this time, in this place, for these people. End quote. Okay. All he's saying is that we have to do exactly what Paul and Peter did. I mean, they didn't preach the gospel in exactly the same way. You know, Peter, when he preached in Acts chapter 2, he was speaking to a biblically literate audience, and he use Old Testament references because the people there would have understood them. Paul doesn't do that in Athens because the Greeks and the Athenians, they wouldn't have known about scripture. They wouldn't have known about who Moses was or who Joel was or anything like that. All all Rob Bell is saying is that we have to interpret the Bible and apply it today. I mean, that's all he's saying. He's not saying what you're trying to attribute to him. He's just saying we have to make decisions about what it means at this time, meaning to this audience in this place, we're not trying to change what the Bible says. We're not trying to, to make it say anything other than what it says. We're just trying to contextualize it for the people. And how could you possibly have a problem with that? What's your problem with that? It only took 50 seconds. So how do I do? Did I make that sound good? It's a terrible quotation. It's a terrible quotation. He says, the Bible has to be interpreted. Okay, listen. What could be more obvious? Of course it has to be interpreted. Everything has to be interpreted. Uh, you know um, the authoritarian groups that say you you're, you're engaging in private interpretation of scripture, and the Bible condemns private interpretation. Of course, it doesn't uh, in Second Peter chapter one, d- despite their their misuse of that passage. Uh, What that passage, when it says that no scripture is of any private interpretation, is speaking about the origin of scripture. It doesn't arise from the interpretation of the prophet or from the prophet's own heart. It comes from God. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what the passage is about. It's not saying you can't privately interpret anything. Jesus himself expected us to privately interpret everything. So saying the Bible has to be interpreted um, is like saying the nose on my face is a nose. Or, the sun is the sun. What could be more obvious? Of course the Bible has to be interpreted. Every form of communication and every form of language has to be interpreted. So often you hear the authoritarian groups, Eastern Orthodox, Rome, and and many others. Well, we we need an infallible interpreter of Scripture. That accomplishes nothing because now I, as an individual, have to privately interpret their interpretation. You have to privately interpret their interpretation. And how can you escape the potential for error? So all this does is back up the, the truck, you know, one step. All this does is back you up one step. Because no matter what, no matter what, we have to interpret each other. I've seen debates between Roman Catholic apologists about the meaning of the statements of Vatican II. Vatican II, an ecumenical council of the Roman Church, made all kinds of pronouncements. And now, Catholic apologists and lay people are interpreting those statements differently well the issue is not that that uh, group can't say anything with clarity the issue is we are fallible and we make mistakes when jesus was confronted with error he simply quoted scripture and he expected it to be clear enough for people to understand what he was talking about He said, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he would quote the passage. I mean, couldn't they have said, well, Jesus, the Bible has to be interpreted. We didn't know what it meant. And you didn't give us an infallible, perpetual body of teachers to interpret it for us. The fact of the matter is the Bible is, is so clear, is so clear when it comes to how to be saved that, as our confession says, not only the unlearned, I'm sorry, not only the learned, but the unlearned, those who aren't lettered scholars. But by a, a a due use of ordinary means can attain to a sufficient knowledge of it. It's wonderful to see, little kids can get this stuff. You know, one of my one of my little uh, chillins, uh my my Lily, uh, will come to me and she listens to this program and will will um, hear stuff and will hear. Uh, quotations and she'll catch on to some of the subtleties of speech and some of the errors that, that people are making and i just think that's great you know she's never been to seminary and has no no training in uh, at a bible college or anything like that but she knows her bible well enough to be able to identify error and it's a wonderful thing to see okay let's see who's over here in the little chat thing real real quick before i uh move on here uh ha made the live yeah that's rob Gibbs. rob Gibbs always emails me i missed the live program i missed the live program so it's good that you made it this time and there's KW, uh, yeah, I've seen you on there too, good afternoon, there's Susan, there's Susan Castleman from California, so is it, let's see, I guess it would be, uh, the sun, let's see, the sun sets in the west, so it's earlier there, so it's like, it's noon 17 or 12, 12, 17 over there, um, uh, thank you for answering my question, you are very welcome, thanks for the good question. Um, Mason O, how's it going, it's going good? going well, excuse me, it's going well. I'm getting ready for a wedding. They're out there decorating. Actually, they're, they're finished now. They, they've got the, the sanctuary all ready for a wedding. Uh, marrying a couple. I just did their pre-marriage counseling and excited for their wedding on Saturday. We have to do the rehearsal tomorrow. Okay, there's Bill Wayne McCann. Hello, sir. New Reformation, it's like preferring light from a light bulb rather than the light from the sun. Yep. There's a big difference qualitatively and quantitatively, quantitatively between the two. Okay. Um, received my copy of the Westminster Standards this weekend. I've been reading great stuff. Good, good. Yeah, the Westminster Confession of Faith is such a great uh, resource. Um, <laughs> New Reformation Apologetics says, Rob Bell will lead you to hell. That's very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rob Bell has no, no earthly idea what the gospel is uh, and does not uh, preach it, sadly. Okay, and then this fellow that sent it to me says, Pastor Hines, it almost hurts me to quote Rob Bell, but you asked for it. Okay, listen to the rest of Bell's quotation. He says, if we're serious about following God, then we have to interpret the Bible. If he was sitting here, I'd say, Rob, what could be more obvious? You and I are interpreting each other's words right here. The issue is not, do we have to interpret stuff? We, we always have to. Everyone has to interpret every form of communication they receive. And we believe that God is able to speak to us with clarity. So clearly that he holds us accountable for having read it and understanding and understood his word. He says, we must first make decisions about what it means at this time in this place for these people. See now the way he's saying that, well, I guess it could mean different things at different times and different places to different people. Please hear me dear, dear uh, listeners. If you ever are in a Bible study and it's let's go around the circle. What does this passage mean to you? Uh, I would encourage you to run for your life. (laughs) Okay, the issue is not, what does it mean to me, or what does it say to me? The question is, what does it say? Okay. The Bible says something, and it says it clearly, and it says the same thing to every person. So it's not, what does it mean to me, but what does it mean to everyone? When God speaks, he speaks clearly. One of the illustrations I've used uh, for a long time is, the Bible says that David was king of Israel. Now, exactly exactly. How many possible interpretations are there of that phrase? Is it a viable interpretation of the phrase, David was king of Israel, to say, that means Solomon was king of Israel? Well, obviously not. How do I know that? Because that's not what David was king of Israel means. Now, we have to interpret everything. There's no escaping it. We have to privately interpret everything and saying, well, we have an infallible body of, of teachers that, that tell us what we're supposed to believe. All that does is back up the uh, epistemological train uh, one step, um, so that now you have to interpret what they say, and hopefully you all interpret it in the same way. Now, there's a great quotation as I as I'm having a memory of it from the great Charles Hodge. Um, let's see, uh, perpetual pictures. wait a minute, let me find it here. Conceivably, uh, there it is! <laughs> here it is. <laughs> Yes, yes, okay, listen to this about needing an infallible interpreter of scripture, okay, listen to this. This is um the office of the Church as a teacher, so the church is to be a teacher, okay, It's not that the Bible's not clear enough. it's that the the people of God need good teachers who have done their homework and studied the Word of God and know something about church history and the history of Christian thought. Listen to Hodge's critique of Rome's understanding of this issue. Romanists teach... This is from uh, Charles Hodge's Systematic Theology in three volumes. Romanists teach that the church, as an external, visible society consisting of those who profess the Christian religion, united in communion of the sac- same sacraments in subjection to lawful pastors, and especially to the Pope of Rome, is divinely appointed to be the infallible teacher of men in all things pertaining to faith and practice it is qualified for this office by the plenary revelation of the truth in the written and unwritten word of god and by the supernatural guidance of the holy spirit vouchsafed to the bishops as official successors of the apostles or to the pope as the successor of peter and his supremacy over the whole church and as vicar of christ on earth now listen listen to what hodge says next there is something simple and grand in this theory it is wonderfully adapted to the tastes and wants of men It relieves them of personal responsibility. Everything is decided for them. Their salvation is secured by merely submitting to be saved by an infallible sin-pardoning and grace-imparting church. Many may be inclined to think that it would have been a great blessing had Christ left on earth a visible representative of himself, clothed with his authority to teach and govern, and an order of men dispersed through the world endowed with the gifts of the original apostles, men everywhere accessible, to whom we could resort in all times of difficulty and doubt, and whose decisions could be safely received as the decisions of Christ himself. God's thoughts, however, are not our thoughts. We know that when Christ was on earth, men did not believe or obey him. We know that when the apostles were still living, and their authority was still confirmed by signs and wonders, and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, the church was nevertheless distracted by heretics and schisms. Now, listen to the last couple sentences. These are brilliant. He says, If any in their sluggishness are disposed to think that a perpetual body of infallible teachers would be a blessing, all must admit that the assumption of infallibility by the ignorant, the erring, and the wicked must be an evil inconceivably great. The Romish theory, if true, might be a blessing. If false, it must be an awful curse. That it is false may be demonstrated to the satisfaction of all who do not wish it to be true and who, unlike the Oxford Tractarian, are not determined to believe it because they love it. End quote. Now, who is the Oxford Tractarian? That's probably a reference to John Henry Cardinal Newman, uh, who was in the Church of England and eventually defected to Roman Catholicism. Okay, let's see what else is going on over here in the uh, little chat thing. If we thus, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and thus the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. This is the history of the past two centuries. In John eleven um, forty eight, yeah, um, they they knew that that if we if we don't kill him, everyone's going to believe in him. Of course, they had no idea that they were going to end up fulfilling scores of prophecies about the the death of Christ, and that being the very means by which sinners would be saved. Okay, let's see. What else have I got here in my face-to-face folder as far as uh, making heresy orthodox? Okay, uh, let's see. Here, that's the Rob Bell quote. I know know there's another one. Um, Podcast on that. And, all right, here's here's one. Let me just read this. I can't remember what this one says. Anyway, I I was parked getting loaded at... Lesser Evil Snack Food Company in Connecticut. Yes, that is the actual name of the company. (laughs) It's called Lesser Evil Snack Food Company. Pictures of happy pink Buddhas on their popcorn bags and all. I was sitting there contemplating how godless a company would have to be with their slogan, Honor Your Craving, when I spotted the strangest quotation on the side of one of their delivery trucks. The quote is at bottom past the star's. Let's see. I can't see it. There's supposed to be a picture here. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's the quotation. When wellness guides your spirit, you are your own guru. Okay, well, that's not even pretending to be orthodox. (laughs) This guy says, it made so little sense, I thought to myself, I wonder if Pastor Hines could explain it to me. (laughs) Not exactly church doctrine, but I think you might be amused or challenged by it. Okay. When wellness guides your spirit, you are your own guru. Well... If wellness guides your spirit, it's going to depend entirely on what you think wellness is. Uh, Wellness to some people might be uh, being strung out on drugs. Uh, Wellness might mean uh, being married to multiple women or something. Uh, So it it depends entirely on what wellness means to you, because there's no objective standard by which to say that I, I am now well um, there's no standard, uh, to say that. So, and, in effect, what this is saying is whatever, whatever you want to make you well, uh, if that can guide your spirits, spirit, and then you, you are your own guru. That's the actual slogan on that truck, on the trucks of that company, lesser evil snack food company. <laughs> okay. Um, last night we started doing a, a Bible study at church on Galatians And, uh, I just decided, I thought, I think it would be good to just read through Galatians together with, uh, whoever shows up. And we had probably, there maybe, maybe we're 20, 25 people that showed up for that. I had a good time reading Galatians and studying it and discussing it. And I was listening, I've been listening to a very old, uh, Ligonier Ministries, uh, lecture series and, uh, it was by R.C. Sproul on Galatians, um, Oh, okay, wait a minute. Someone asked a question. What do you think of the, uh, they meant to say, Asbury Theological Seminary, Asbury uh, Revival? Well, uh, someone mentioned that this past Sunday night and uh, before the service started, we had just had a prayer meeting and had a, a, some extra time to, to just fellowship. And I pulled up my phone and pulled up an article about it. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to uh, come down like a ton of bricks, but there's, there's nothing about that I've been able to see yet. About the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. I'm not seeing that the the Word of God is being preached and taught there. And so I, I wonder, is it just raw emotionalism or or what? The Holy Spirit works through the Word. And one thing that's very important, you know, people want to talk about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit moving and doing this and doing that. If you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, you need to read slowly and methodically John chapters 14, 15, and 16. That is unique in the whole Bible about the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And I remember one passage, I was directed to this passage by the Heidelberg Catechism long ago and it's john 15, In fact, I, I remember memorized the reference because it was such a, a revolutionary passage because at the time i was i was still working at working out issues i had i had um still had with me from my days in kind of more charismatic type churches and it's not that um I, i'm against being passionate or or believing in the guidance of the holy spirit but when people are supposedly, you know, being slain in the spirit and shivering all over and acting weird and stuff like that, um, this verse of scripture really made me rethink a lot of that. Jesus taught about the the uh, paraclete, the, the parakletos, the helper, the comforter. A lot, of, you know, this translated in a number of different ways, but the parakletos—that is the one who comes alongside. That's really what the word parakletos means. The the one who comes alongside. The helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ. Okay. The Holy Spirit is as it were, like he's like a spotlight that shines from the back of the stage, always on Jesus Christ. So when you hear people talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to me that's kind of like standing on, like staring into the spotlight. And what the Holy Spirit does, what Jesus said he does, he bears witness to Christ. And a theologian, a Reformed theologian once made a really great statement. He said, here is how you know where the Holy Spirit is not present. He is not present anywhere. He is the center of attention. The Holy Spirit is not present anywhere he is constantly being talked about. The Holy Spirit is present where Jesus Christ is the focus. You want to have a spirit-filled church and a spirit-filled worship service? Preach Christ and him crucified. Focus on Jesus as the only salvation and the only hope of sinners. Jesus as the one in whom we stand for our access to God. That's where the Holy Spirit will be found. He testifies of Christ. And another thing we know, John 16, He goes on in the very next chapter. When he comes, when the helper, when the, the parakletos, the, the one who comes alongside, when the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who is going to help the church and give greater spontaneity in, in our fellowship with God and in our worship of God, what is he going to do? According to Jesus' own teaching, he will convict the world of sin john 16 verse 8 when he has come he will convict the world of sin okay so the holy spirit according to jesus bears witness of jesus and he convicts the world of sin so those are two things we know the holy spirit does so where is he present where you see people convicted of sin and you hear the gospel the pure the true gospel that were justified by faith alone, faith excluding works, faith is not obedience, faith is restful, repose upon the finished work of Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is trusting in the finished work of Christ for the whole of our salvation. That's what saving faith is. When that's preached and a call to repentance, to turn from sin, to despise sin and follow Christ and rest on him alone for the whole of your salvation, when people are convicted and the gospel's being preached clearly, Passionately, the Holy Spirit is there. Whether people are falling down and clucking like chickens and acting weird is irrelevant. Where is the Spirit present? Where Christ is center. Where is the Spirit present? You'll see it. You'll see the effects of of his presence. You will see those effects. You will see them. People will be convicted of their sin, and they'll be believing and trusting in Christ alone. That's how you know. Where the spirit is present. So, as far as this revival that's going on, uh, as it's being called in, in Asbury, I haven't really read a whole lot about it um, since Sunday. Let me see if I can find something real quick. Asbury College Revival from Google immediately pulls it. Okay, let's see. Kentucky Asbury University Revival going viral on TikTok. Okay. Uh, going viral on, Okay, on NBC News here. All right, let's see. The gathering's been going on for 24 hours a day at a small Christian college. Okay, people are traveling thousands of miles to take part. Isn't that sad? (laughs) You have to travel thousands of miles to to feel a sense of closeness to God? That's sad to me. Okay, listen. A Christian service at a college chapel in Kentucky has ballooned into a nonstop prayer and worship session that some are calling a revival, and people are traveling thousands of miles to take part in it after seeing viral videos on TikTok. Okay, let's let's see. Um, I, the, the only thing I care about, the only thing I care about, is what's being preached. What's being preached here? Like the the phenomenon? Of, if people are being convicted of sin. And are are uh, being pointed to the Lord Jesus. Great, wonderful. I hope that I hope that's what's happening. Let's see. The first day we had a very ordinary service. I call it unremarkable," said the president, Kevin Brown, following a morning service. February eighth, a multicultural gospel choir sang on stage. Some students stuck around afterward, and by evening, more and more had trickled into the sanctuary, creating something special. It has been ap- it has absolutely been social media that this that is the mechanism that people found out about this. Okay, I'm not sure that um discovering something on social media and then coming to it is really the same as the Holy Spirit, but I don't know. Okay, the setup is simple, no projector screens or high-tech integrations, just wooden sanctuary chairs filled with people and an open altar call with an invitation to prayer that still hasn't ended. Okay, well, if it's if it's a prayer meeting, and people are praying. Uh, praise the Lord. Great. That equation has been a powerful recipe on social media. Okay, Asbury Revival. Racking up millions of views. Students are hungry for Jesus. Okay. Alright. The phrase spiritual revival can carry different meanings. In Christianity, they generally refer to a resurgence and in interest in the church from believers and non-believers. Many attendees of the Asbury Gathering say they were drawn by a spiritual presence they felt was at the event. Okay. They they felt there was a spiritual presence there. In the TikTok videos of the event, some people are seen crying to worship music with hands extended high, while others uh, others group up and place hands on those seeking prayer. Okay, I'm still wondering what, what's being preached here. Like what's uh, what's being what's being preached, if if anything. Tuesday night count the largest crowd yet. Yeah, Three thousand worshipers piled into the chapel. Wow, there's a lot of people there. Okay. Huh. I don't know. T- Tuesday night, capped largest crowd, 3,000. Okay, at least two-thirds of the attendees are from out of state, according to Brown. Students and staff from 22 schools have visited so far. Wow. Along Alongside groups from Hawaii to Massachusetts. Travelers from Singapore and Canada are expected to arrive soon. Huh. Although social media has served as a lightning rod for the event, Asbury faculty said they were cautious not to market or brand what was happening. Okay. Well, it sounds like it was already publicized. I mean... Okay, let's see. Um, Nick Hall, an attendee who purchased a one-way plane ticket from Minneapolis when he saw a viral video on Instagram emphasized that the gathering was notably low key for something that people are calling a revival. This is acoustic, guitars, piano, and very non-charismatic speakers. This is an unsensat- unsensationalized as it could be. Okay, they're they're the ones that started it, they're the ones that sustained it. Okay, according to Hall, this fella, leading the charge in the sanctuary and on social media is the generation Z gener is is generation Z generation. They're the ones that started it, they're the ones that sustained it, and they're the ones that have been on the platform the whole time, he said. Many of the now thousands in attendance acted swiftly, embarking on the trip just a day or two after learning about the assembly on social media. T.J. Reeves, a senior at Wheaton College in Illinois, said he first heard of the gathering from an Instagram video and shortly after made the six and a half hour drive to Wilmore. He said he left without a plan. Okay, um, I'm still, I'm just kind of scanning this here. Um, You know, when the First Great Awakening started, as from the stuff that I have read about it, it started because of 12 sermons Jonathan Edwards preached on justification by faith alone. You know, I, I think I would break down and weep like a child if I saw a news story like this and saw... Someone got up into the pulpit at a chapel service and preached Christ and him crucified, preached the gospel, called people to repent. And people were professing their faith in Christ in response to the preaching of Christ and him crucified from the text of God's word. That's the thing that seems to always be missing from this. Now, I hope, I hope that this is a, something that, that God is doing. I just don't, I don't see any evidence that it is. I don't, so far, I haven't heard anything about Jesus and the cross and the gospel. So, let me, let me put it this way. If the gospel, justification by faith alone, faith apart from works, that we're saved by Christ alone, that there's nothing we can do to be saved... And nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves us. If that's being preached and then suddenly there's lots of people being genuinely converted and saved, that's revival. So I don't I don't know. It's it's hard to, to tell what this is. There is a video. Eight hours of this. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's pull this up and just see what we can see here. I wish I could show you what I'm looking at here. Okay, hello, hello. Um Let me uh, turn this up just a wee bit. I have no idea what this is. It's eight hours and there's people. There's a lot of singing, applauding. This person is standing up saying, we need to tell the devil to shut up and blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'm just going to skim through it a little bit more here. Let's see. Interesting. I, I don't know these, these kinds of phenomena. It's hard to, to tell, you know, what is going on here. But I'll tell you, I want to know what is being preached. What's being preached? The phenomena, like the hand raising and everything, that's all fine and then I have no problem with that. You know, I've done that before, where when you worship and you just reach out to God, and that, that's great. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. If people are praying and they're they're uh, being convicted of sin or are wanting to be more godly, that's wonderful. But what is a revival though in in historic use of the term? It's lots of people being genuinely converted and saved by the preaching of Christ and him crucified. So that's my question. Is that the focal point of what's being said here? Is that what they're what they're doing? I don't know. I don't know. I I haven't seen any articles that really have emphasized that or even mentioned it. So so I don't know. I don't know. A good question. Okay. Um seek all right let's see there's colin hey colin and there's one of my kiddos that's probably lily that's all right you forgot oh i was just talking about you a little bit ago you'll have to go back and listen to it seek the true god who speaks truth and offers true help faith takes god as his word and acts on it there is nothing there is nothing as unexperiential unmystical, and unsentimental as faith <laughs> that's good david powelson's a good is a good author he's a good good counselor I think this is something we have to see the long-term fruits of. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We need to see, um, does it, does it yield any fruit that will last? Now, if this has been going on for day after day after day, I mean, I, I, I've not heard everything that's being said, but I, I pray, I hope someone is preaching Christ and him crucified and calling people to repentance and faith, because that's the only way that revival can happen is, is when that, when that is done. Okay. Um. But robust, straightforward, simple faith is powerful. Relate your life to God in Christ and he will rearrange your life. Yep, yeah, that's true. Um, all right, the sermon that started the revivals on YouTube. Okay, oh, is it? Is it the, the thing that, that inaugurated it? I want to see that. I would like to see it. Because if it's, if it's a clear, powerful uh, gospel sermon where the, um, oh, really, it's on Romans 12 and how we need to love others? Okay, then it's straightforward law. It's straight up law, then. Now maybe the spirit is using that to convict people. We need to love people better, but no one's going to get saved by just a straightforward preaching of the law, unless they got the gospel in there somewhere. That's the main thing. Christ and Him crucified is that is that the center of of what started it and what is sustaining it. If not, I would I would be a little bit worried about it. Okay, he prayed in the middle of it that people would feel the love of of God. Hmm. You know, um, I think it'd be better if you prayed that people would. Know the love of God. You know, we're we're like a whole generation of people that can't think at all. all. All we can do is feel. That's all we can do is feel. Now feelings are great, and feelings should follow facts and what we know. But feelings can't create facts. Okay. Uh there's no preaching of Christ on the cross. Well that's sad. That's very sad. That's what that's really what, what revival is all about. That's how it starts, is when that happens. Okay, my end was choppy too, but I restarted it's it fixed. Okay, okay. Yeah, the key word, feel. You need to feel the love of God in this room. No. Um, you, you know God. I mean, you would think that Jesus would have said in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they might feel you, the only true God. <laughs> that they might feel you and feel Jesus. No, it's that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom, whom you have sent. That's wonderful. There are times I that I get chills and my eyes well with tears when we're singing those great hymns, but I don't attribute that to the Holy Spirit. I attribute that to the truth, to knowing God. That that's what it is. Feelings um, feelings follow that. As a sermon on sanctification, okay. Hmm. I'll have to look for that. I, I, I'm curious uh, to see that because you you're seeing this you know buzzing all over the the internet. But okie dokie. Um, just to let everyone know, a little little announcement. I've got uh, an ad uh, that I've taken out uh, from Reformed Sage, and it's going live tomorrow uh, for one week. And it's advertising the two books that I have worked feverishly to edit and to get all the typos out and to make it smooth. Uh, but there's two books uh, that you can actually get print and hard copies of, and those are, those are on Amazon. And there's a bunch of smaller uh, individual sermons that you can just uh, buy on Kindle. Uh, but that's going on... Um, ReformedSage.com. So if y'all want to check that out, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what time that starts tomorrow, but I will have an ad on there, a banner ad that will take you to my Amazon author page. Uh, so I'm trying to make my contribution to sound doctrine and theology as best I can. I'm not the best writer, but I am giving it my best. Um, anyway, I've got a lot of stuff I got to do. Uh, but, um, love you all. Uh, uh, love you all. Thank you all for watching or for listening. Pastor Patrick Hines of Brittle Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at com, where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.